This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled to center field and deep. Back on it is Eaton. To the track. To the wall. It's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center, and he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good afternoon. Welcome to our show. Today, moved inside to the Rumpfish Grill on St. Pete Beach, the beautiful Guy Harvey outpost. Due to the potential of inclement weather on the program today, you'll hear from Commissioner Rob Manfred and Principal Owner Stuart Sternberg as they met at Tropicana Field this week. We'll be joined from St. Louis by Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Get to know more about relief pitcher Dan Jennings and hear about the first raise affiliate to make the postseason. Welcome back. Neil Solon's with you on This Week in Rays Baseball. Big story for the Rays not involving games this week was Commissioner Rob Manfred visiting Tropicana Field. And I asked the commissioner why it's important for him to visit as many clubs as he can each year. Well, you know, so much of our business is done in the 30 markets. I mean, think about our single biggest revenue source, right, ticketing. All those 74 million tickets, 30,000 per game, get sold in local markets. And um, I I like to get out, um, see what the clubs are doing, and how they manage what's really an impressive feat. Um, But it's, it's not just ticketing. It's all sorts of business issues that are really local focused. You call the race principal owner, Stuart Sternberg, one of the best in the game. What is your relationship like? Why is it so unique? And why do you speak so highly of him? Well, look, I I think that, um, you know, I pointed Stu to the executive council um, after I got elected. I did that because I wanted some new blood on the council. Um, I picked him because of his intellect, his business acumen, um, and he has done a fantastic job in that role on the MLB Advanced Media Board, or Business and Media Board as we call it, and as the head of our diversity committee. Um, And, you know, um, I'm just very grateful for the leadership and support he's provided in the governance structure. How close do you think he and the ownership are to resolving what the market is concerned about, which is the stadium situation? Well, um, you know, it's hard for me to put a timetable on that. Um, I I will say this. um, I think people in Tampa Bay um, should be pleased by the commitment that Stu and his team have shown um, to trying to find a premier site in Tampa Bay and um, they're to be commended for that. How important is the resolution to also having that competitive balance because look they're in a very challenging division. You've got Boston, New York, and Toronto, which has the whole country behind them. Look, it's crucial for this market. Um, You know, if you um, are in a huge media market and your stadium situation is less than perfect, you know, one can kind of compensate for the other. Um, In contrast, 
a market like Tampa needs to have an A-plus location and facility. And, you know, we need corporate business um, support in this community um, so that the franchise can be competitive and successful. To look big picture at the game itself, you've got Players Weekend this weekend. How important and critical is that to the marketing of some of the stars of the game? Well, I think the key to marketing um, in today's world is giving your fans access to players in a way that they don't ordinarily see the player day in and day out. And I think Players Weekend gives the players an opportunity to express themselves. I think the nickname gives you a little view as to what the player's about and the you know different shoes, different bats, all expressions of individuality, which are rare in our game because it's such a team game. Do you want to see more of that? Do you want to see this be more than a weekend in the future? I think you need to find the right balance. Um, I think a weekend is a nice experiment, and we'll see how it goes. And what you saw last weekend with the Little League efforts, how important is that to you and the connection to kids playing the game and seeing the game so close to them? I couldn't be more positive on our experience in Williamsport. Um, Little League's been a great partner for us, and uh, the, the game, the big leaguers, gave us an opportunity to highlight that partnership, and it goes, I think, without saying, I could not be more proud of the way that the Pirates and the Cardinals players conducted themselves. They were simply wonderful with the kids. It produced a great visual for us, a real positive for the game. And as you look forward, what do you see as the three greatest priorities right now to make the game even better than it is now? Well, I think the number one priority for us has to be to continue our efforts to get kids playing the game. Um, you know, it is uh, the single biggest determinant of how successful the game will be in the future. Secondly, uh, I, I think that the clubs are doing a tremendous job and need to continue their efforts with the next generation, millennials in particular. You're seeing great great efforts um, around the league to do innovative things like monthly passes, different seating areas and stadiums in order to attract millennials to our game. And then, you know, third, we need to be aggressive about managing what is a very challenging media environment out there. How hard is that? Because now you're seeing more people cut the cord, but TV deals are so critical. And at the same time, you've got the digital aspect, which more people are relying on. Well, I think the good news for us is that um, we were out there early on digital and over-the-top delivery, direct-to-consumer delivery, so we have a leg up. We have a great partnership with Disney and Bamtech, and I think it'll help position the game for the future. That is Rob Manfred on a number of topics during his visit this week to Tropicana Field. As mentioned, the commissioner sat down with Rays principal owner Stuart Sternberg this week, and I asked the Rays principal owner what it meant to have the commissioner at the ballpark. Oh, it's, it's, it's a big deal. You know, Rob is a very hands-on commissioner. We speak a lot. Uh, he understands, you know, really what's going on in the marketplace. But to have him come down and have everybody, including our employees and uh, business people down here and elected officials see him and have Rob walk the area uh, really is an important thing for us. How has he supported some of your efforts, the race efforts overall? Rob uh, has a lot of faith in what we're doing. Uh, has seen over the years, it's our 12th year of ownership, and Rob has been there all along and, and even 12 years before we got here, and, you know, thinks that what we've done with this franchise and turning it around in so many ways uh, really earned us a lot of uh, kudos, and they've looked at the things that we've done to this point, not just on the field, but off and a lot of the uh, the things we do off field and in the, in the stadium as well, and, um, you know, I think they're big fans of ours. 
He spoke, in fact, very highly and said you're one of the better owners in the game. To hear that, what does that mean? It means I'm in the top 30. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did hear that. I had a little cringe or whatever. I'm involved in, in, in significant ways. Rob is, is, is kind enough to appoint me to be on the executive council. I'm on the, uh, the BAM board, which is a big deal. And I head up, the most importantly for me, the diversity and inclusion committee at Major League Baseball. So uh, he doesn't just say it. He, you know, he feels comfortable with me in positions that are important for baseball. How, um, before we get to some of those, how close do you think there is to resolution of what all the fans are asking about, which is a stadium issue? We're getting closer, right? Uh, The nice thing is the momentum is here. I wouldn't say it's coming like a freight train, but it's moving very steadily forward finally. Uh, Up for a lot of long period of time, we were taking steps backwards. Uh, Another period of time, it was a step forward and two steps back, one forward, one back. We've been progressing, and now it feels like we are picking up real momentum. And I would love to, you know, see something happen in the next number of months. We're able to, uh, you know, work with whatever municipality it is to announce a site and try to go forward and get it done there. Since you touched on some of the areas you work on on the executive council, give me a, a feel for what you believe should be the major priorities in the game going forward. If you were in Rob Manfred's shoes. Well, I do have I, I have some influence into it, right? Rob, fortunately, is making those decisions. I do think that uh, the initiatives we've, we've undertaken so far, uh, which are pace of game, but we need to make some dramatic strides there. Uh, and I think there are ways to do it. I'd have ways to you know focus on it. I'd like to see. So we were talking about on, on-field play. I'd like to see fewer strikeouts. I'd like to see more balls in play as opposed to over the fence. And I think we should... Go with that in, in, in mind and try to get more defense and more running and things. And as far as the otherwise, it's trying to expand the game both internationally and more so uh, with young people and uh, who are playing the game and with millennials, as you'd call them, uh, and how they're going to consume the game and visit the stadiums going forward. The one thing that uh, you know we heard last year, there was an independent study done, and baseball, of all the sports, is the only sport that's had growth, actually, in participation. So it's, uh, it, it bodes very well for the future. Since you're involved with the diversity committee, how important is it not only to see diversity on the field, but also in the front offices too? It is. And you look, it's, it, it's difficult because, uh, you know, you're drawing from a, a, a pool of people. What we did, um, when Andrew Friedman came in here and Matt Silverman, they were not baseball people. You know, be, they became baseball people. There's a learning curve involved, but there are many organizations that will just bring somebody in. Uh, you know, that didn't have the experience. So if you generally focus on those who are on the field, they do have to work their way through. And um, unfortunately for baseball, it hasn't it hasn't worked its way, I think, to the best way it can, you know, both with managerial candidates um, and also, you know, front office. And there are plenty of front office places, but I think it's definitely getting better. Again, chatting with Ray's principal owner, Stuart Sternberg. How about on the field? What do you make of this season to this point? Oh, it's it's a tale of about four seasons. Uh, I, the thing is, we haven't been. I don't think there's been an area that we've had where we've just been good. I think the offense was was excellent, and then it it's, it was real bad. And I think the starting pitching, you know, was sort of okay, and then it got excellent in August. I think the relief pitching was not was bad at a point, and then got excellent. So I, I mean, really, what we would have liked to seen is just above average performance in each of those areas or at least average on the hitting and then well above on on pitching and defense which is where you know we usually live but i think when we all saw the amount of uh, hitting and runs we were scoring for a few months and the, the relief pitching wasn't there at all if they had just done a bit better job in the pen we'd in much better shape right now which obviously shows how much you believed in the group you did something very unique you you guys went after it um with your resources why you know i've, I've talked to 
Eric and Haim about it, but let's hear your standpoint. Why did you think that was the right time? Uh, my daughter was going off to college, and I wanted to have a fun September. No. <laughs> I'm just, uh, it, we it, it, we have it, it's, it's been rare that we've been in a position where we were getting hitting like that. And we had the starting pitching. We knew they were they were you know well above average. Um, you know they hadn't been to the level that they were, but we knew they had it in them. And while it's not easy to fix the bullpen, it's it's a fix you're able to make. So we went out and we thought we more than shored up the bullpen, and that's been the case. The starting pitching has come on uh, and done their thing. Um, you know, not a couple of nights notwithstanding, but the month of August has been exceptional. And Lucas Duda, who we picked up a bat, you'd think adding another bat to that lineup was the last thing we needed to do. Um, but it's really been disappointing to see how the offense has, has been there. And the shame of it is if, you, if I was able to take this team into opening day next year, I would feel incredible about it. Some of these guys won't be here, obviously, free agency uh, and other reasons. Um, but unfortunately, time has run short, is running short, and we've, you know, we can't let it slip away much longer. So going forward, what are the biggest things, let's say, in this season you need, and how do you view now the kind of shape you're in, let's say, going into next year, at least at this point? Well, this season, we need everybody to, to at least play their potential, right? Not not to the top end of it, but just part, just do what they were doing before, do what they're capable of doing. And if we can get a few outstanding performances, great. You know, Kiermaier came back that's helpful. Uh, we had a bunch of injuries, again, for point in time. But, you know, for the most part, we've been much more healthy in years past. So there's not much else we can do to bring in to, to really shore things up. This is the team. But as I say, uh, if this was a team I had to start any year with, I would feel we're a 90-victory team with what we have out there right now. So they, uh, unfortunately, there's only you know 40-some-odd games left, and we've got to you know play like a 95-win team going forward. And you know, in terms of other stuff going on in the game, this is the Players' Weekend. I'm kind of curious your take on it and also what happened last weekend with the Little League event in Williamsport. Well, for, the Little League event is, was tremendous. I mean, they've been playing the, the game there in Williamsport, you know, seems like forever. But, you know, for, for tons of years, I, I've played Little League. I'm sure many of the listeners play Little League or have a son to play Little League or brother. And it's just an amazing thing. And, and it creates fans. So for baseball to do that, we went to Cuba last year to play. They had the Fort Bragg game. You know, we're trying to do things a little bit differently. There's more talk about going overseas, which is always the, I won't say easy thing to do, but to be able to do unique uh, situation, unique games in this country in venues like that are tremendous, especially it's a game for the kids, and you get the kids involved, and they're going to be fans for life, and, uh, and I think we accomplished that. Hopefully we see that joy with this race team in this final month and change of the season. Kind of that kid joy and the, the results follow. Thanks again for a few minutes. Thank you very much. Thanks for everybody for listening. And that is the race principal owner, Stuart Sternberg, on a number of topics after visiting this week with Commissioner Rob Manfred. Now, Mark Hopkin covered that, and he's covered pretty much every game of this 2017 season. Uh, Mark now joins us from St. Louis. Mark, you got to hear, I would assume, a little bit of what Stu had to say there, and you heard all of his comments earlier in the week. What was your take of the visit this week? Well, I thought it was interesting in a couple ways, Neil. I thought the uh, commissioner, Rob Manfred, turned up the rhetoric a little bit as far as on the stadium situation uh, in that he wants to see progress sooner than later, and he wants to see governmental uh, help, which is obvious because Major League Baseball doesn't, uh, has not historically contributed to stadiums, so they want to see government help, which is kind of code for paying for it. Um, I thought Stu Sternberg had some interesting things to say. I mean, I thought he was clearly uh, still speaking of his optimism of getting this worked out and they feel excited about some of the situations that present themselves 
uh, in the Tampa Bay area, and I think he had an interesting comment where he said, you know, he's trying to, he thinks this can work both with his heart and with his head. So I, I think that spoke to his commitment, wanting it to be a generational facility. So I, I think if you were, you know, a neutral observer here, you'd come out of this thinking there's definitely, you know, some pressure being applied to get this done. There's definitely a plan that could work. They have some optimism and some confidence to think it can, and now these next few months are going to be really interesting. It certainly will. I mean, and we've still got five weeks left in the, in the baseball season. And uh, Stu Sternberg there called it a, a tale of four seasons. Um, and did it take another turn, unfortunately, for the negative last night in your mind? Yeah, last night was a tough one. I, mean, I don't know if it was uh, necessarily a dagger, as some people are saying, but I do think it was a, it was a crushing blow. I mean, they, the Rays are in a position, and, and I know what the math is. I know how many games are left, but there's going to be a finite number of games they can afford to give away, and last night was pretty close to giving one away. I mean, you get that kind mm-hmm. of a start from Blake Snell. You get enough offense, or it looked to be enough offense with the three home runs. And, you know, you have the bullpen, not necessarily exactly, you know, set up, but good enough. You know, if you would have said in February you're going to be playing a key game the last week of August, you need Brad Boxberger to come in and get, you know, four outs or something, they'd probably feel pretty good about that. He was supposed to be a key part of this bullpen. Now, obviously, he hasn't had a good year. He's had injuries. They've added other guys that have taken over more important roles. But, you know, to think that they couldn't get between the six outs between Tommy Hunter and Brad Boxberger, yeah, that's where the disappointment came in for the Rays last night. And then, yeah, the box, the balls hit off a of Hunter weren't necessarily hit hard. There was one that got by Duda. There was one that rolled through. You know, Boxberger gives up the single to Wong, and they get a break where Yurko pulls up hurt. You think maybe that's a good omen, things are going to work out. And then the ninth inning quickly goes the wrong way. The kind of, you know, slap uh, check swing hit by Carpenter. And then a, not really, really not a bad pitch by Boxberger that Pham hits out. So, a very uh, frustrating ending, a game that the Rays definitely felt, you know, stung about. And even this morning, I mean, the players are, you know, they're usually always upbeat, but you could still sense there was a little bit of frustration in that room today, I think. And and you're there on a daily basis, so you see it. I, I, I know we touched on the bullpen and them not being able to finish it, but at the same time, didn't the defense almost allow St. Louis to get back into this game? Because Blake Snow might have even pitched in the eighth inning as good as that, his outing was if the defense it's a little bit better behind him. Yeah, and I think when you say the defense, we're talking about Corey Dickerson in left field, and, and he just had a bad night overall, obviously. And, you know, two balls that kind of kick around in the corner on him there. And, and he's played here before. He's been with the Rockies. He's been here before. So the it's a new ballpark excuse. You know, I know Kevin Cash mentioned that in his postgame. I think he was being nice to Corey Dickerson there. And, you know, the ball gets lost in the twilight. I know that happens. And if you, you know, you watch a lot of baseball highlights, you see that happen, you know, once a week or so. But, Certainly bad timing and a bad situation for the Rays for that to happen. I mean, Kiermaier almost made a tremendous play to come over Mm -hmm. and catch it. But, you know, those things added up. I mean, that cost the Rays just the one in the one inning. The ball kicked around in the corner, and then that uh, twilight ball cost the Rays a couple runs right there. So, yeah, the defense uh, did not help them. And on a night when they'd gone into the, you know, they were about to set a team record. Had they come out clean, it would have been 10 straight games, tied the team record. Instead, only one official error, but several missed plays along with the one missed play. Yeah, sometimes the errors don't really tell the story or the lack of errors listed on the board. And unfortunately to me, it kind of overshadows what Blake Snell did yesterday when really they needed him to give him a deep start. I think sometimes that's the hardest thing for a young pitcher to do is go deep into a game when they need you to. Yeah, and knowing that the bullpen is a little short because they had to cover so many innings the two days before when the Rays won the games and they only got eight innings total from their two starters from from Cobb and Odorizzi, 
And and then yeah, if you're Blake Snell, you you're trying to stay on this role. You've kind of changed your approach a little bit. You know, you're trying to pitch with more confidence, and you know the team needs you to go deep. And you're dealing with the distractions of having a hit in this game. And I think there were twice where he made the last out, so you have to deal with you know not you know literally not hurrying and rushing to get back out there to, to kind of slow yourself down and not let things speed up on you. So the various hindrances he had a work around yesterday. I mean, Blake Snell should be very proud of what he did. And, you know, very pleased with that as a sign for going forward, kind of this second chance, his second chance, as we've been referring to it. But it still ultimately wasn't enough. And at the same time today, now this is kind of a similar test for, for Chris Archer. I mean, the Rays really need Chris to be, you know, he's, he was their opening to get pitcher, but they really need him to be an ace-type guy, especially since he's opposite Lance Lynn. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough draw because normally the Rays would feel really good about having Chris Archer on the mound, but having him on the mound when Lance Lynn, the Cardinals' best, is out there maybe kind of makes it more of a toss-up situation. And, look, talking to Chris Archer yesterday, you won't be surprised to know, Neil, he's being he's very confident and he feels he's done very well this year and, you know, has pitched extremely well. And, and you know, I will counter that by saying he has pitched. I think his numbers, I would say they're good but not great. But, you know, mm-hmm. he wants to be that guy. And if you want to be that guy, you want to be that elite level, you want to be considered in that conversation as an ace, you know, you have to step up when your team needs you. And, and this is a situation today where, you know, six innings, three runs, which has kind of been his M.O. lately, maybe isn't good enough today. Maybe, you know, that needs to be seven or eight innings. I know it's hot. I know it's going to be a tough day. But, you know, seven or eight innings and no runs or one run is, is probably more reflective of what you'd want out of an ace today. I think that's that's fair in, in saying that, good but not great. I, I think you can apply that to what he's done lately. What He had 14 starts where he gave up, you know, he, or, or I think 17 out of 18 where he was six innings or more, but what two of the last 14 he's gone seven. And Lance Lynn's pretty much the same. I think he's gone seven innings once in his last nine. He keeps going six. So you almost have two guys who are mirror images of each other in terms of what they've done for their team. They keep their team in the game, but they haven't been that, that great, ace type and that's maybe where these teams are where they are they're right around the 500 mark yeah and and there's some other parallels you could make between these two teams but you know i do think just just having been here in st louis and and under the arch for a few days and and caught the end of thursday's game here when the cardinals lost to the padres there's more of a vibe i think that the rays are in this than there is a vibe that the cardinals are in this so maybe you could make the case the rays have a little more to play for i mean the home team obviously has that behind them and it'll be a full house again today it's just been interesting to see the last three days but um you know i do think the rays have to you know as if they didn't already have a sense of urgency neil which Mm -hmm. they certainly should and as if they didn't already realize you know they're running out of of slack here an opportunity they have to realize that especially because where they're going next because when that plane lands tonight in kansas city that Mm -hmm. has been no man's land for the tampa bay rays over the last four or five years so they they can ill afford to lose this game tonight knowing what the challenges await them the next three days no doubt uh you wrote about it today if they are going to rebound they they need the offense to continue to kind of uh rebound as well what's the biggest of the five reasons to you that you wrote about today in terms of why the offense has been better in the last week well, you know, I think if you look, uh, obviously, you know, they have faced some more hittable pitching. That's certainly been part of it. I think there had to be an evening out. That was definitely part of it, which is the answer that fans least ever want to hear is, you know, just give them time. They're not that bad. But I think, you know, if you're around the team, you knew that. They didn't suddenly go from being – they weren't necessarily that good, but they also certainly weren't that bad. But I, I think if you look at the individuals, I mean, Wilson Ramos has helped, Corey Dickerson coming back. But I, I think it's obvious to me that the number one difference – and, and it – you know, whether it's totally coincidental or it's all to his credit, but Kevin Kiermeyer's return has definitely sparked this offense. And, you know, he's been cold the last two days, and, and you know, maybe that's been a little part of 
the difference. But, you know, Kevin Kiermaier, when getting on base, making things happen, I mean, he actually brings just a vibe of energy to the dugout and things like that. But, you know, the success he had those first four or five games, I think, got some of the other players to relax a little bit. And, and there's still some progress to go. I mean, Lucas Duda's hit, I think his last three hits are all home runs. He hasn't done much else besides that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen Ramos go, you know, went really hot and then, you know, have a cool night or two. Logan Morrison still hasn't gotten going. Echevarria's kind of up and down. Uh, Brad Miller, we're still waiting to see, you know, if there's going to be any salvation to his season there. So there's still a number of things that can change for the Rays offensively. But if you want to pin it down to one key, I, I would say it's been Kevin Kiermaier's return. Mark, good stuff as usual. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the barbecue in Kansas City. Anytime, Neil. You know, it's always the highlight of the week when I get to speak with you on the air. All right. That is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Before we continue, let's pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. This is Tampa Bay Sports Radio. To the wall! Gone! 620 WDAE St. Petersburg and 95.3 FM, home of the Rays. Next up on this week in Rays Baseball, reliever Dan Jennings on the biggest adjustment to a July trade. More after this on the Rays Radio Network. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball, and our feature guest this week is reliever Dan Jennings. And, Dan, we certainly appreciate a few minutes. Tell me what it's been like this first month for you in the Rays organization. You know, at first it's uh, a lot, a lot of chaos, kind of a lot to figure out, you know, family-wise and moving. And, um, you know, once you get into the baseball side of things, you know, you get a few games under your belt, and then it just becomes kind of business as usual, and you just try to get comfortable and settle into uh, a little bit of a new routine uh, mixed in with your old routine. You were traded before, but this is the first time it happened in season. How different is it? It's very different. Um, you know, you start with uh, a new year, and basically you can walk into spring training knowing there's going to be a lot of new faces anyways, and you're just one of many new faces. But um, mid-season trade, you're kind of – uh, a lone, lone, you know, soul out there walking into a new clubhouse, don't really know what to expect. And um, but it was great, nothing but great things and, and great people. What was the hardest part? Um, honestly, I think the the family aspect becomes really difficult. Leaving your family behind and and uh, leaving with, with sh such short notice becomes uh, a challenge. But you know, it's just stuff you work through. It's good problems to have. Now you've got one child in a second on the way. Yep. When? Uh, three and a half year old, and then uh, my wife is close to seven months pregnant with a uh, boy. So you're excited to have now one of each, I guess. <laughs> oh yeah, I think um, that's that's you know everybody's dreams to have one of each, and and you know we're very blessed to to be able to have uh, a girl and a boy, and um, just an amazing feeling. What is uh, where is home for you? Because you know I looked into your background, and you were born in California, you were raised in Iowa, you played college in Nebraska, and now you've played professionally with two teams in Florida and, and the White Sox. Yeah, we've been in uh, Palm Beach Gardens for the last seven years, but we're actually transitioning back to um, Des Moines, Iowa, where I grew up. So um, in, in a transition now, this will be our first offseason back in, um, in Iowa, but um, we still have a condo down in Florida, so we plan on going back and forth a little bit, and being in Tampa makes that quite a bit easier. What has been uh, or what made that part of the country special for you since you're going back there? Uh, you know, just the people, just really, um, you know, everyone talks about the, the people in the Midwest, how friendly everybody is, and there's a lot of truth behind that. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of good schools and, and good people. Um, the one deterrent was the weather because we've really enjoyed the uh, winters down here in Florida. Were you always a baseball guy, or did you play other sports growing up? You know, I, I just kind of 
played and, and did whatever I could because I was never the biggest, strongest, fastest, anything like that. So um, even playing baseball, you know, I was uh, never by any means, you know, the star of any team I was on. I really didn't come into my own until late high school and uh, even through college started, um, you know, figuring out myself and pitching and all that. So nothing came easy for me for sure. It was um, constant development. Did you always want to be a baseball player, though, or at what point did you say, hey, this is what I want to do professionally? No, I, I knew I always wanted to play baseball in college. I didn't know if it would lead anything beyond that. I, even in my wildest dreams, I never thought of getting here. But um, I, I recall being a sophomore in high school, and I was probably, you know, 5'3", you know, buck 25 or something. And I remember uh, asking my mom if she would go with me to visit some schools to play baseball. And, um, you know, it seemed like a crazy dream at the time because – I was just another small kid, you know, and um, just playing, you know, whatever, like select ball and what that I could. Um, but I always knew I wanted to play in college and, and, you know, I didn't know what level that might be at. I thought that would at the time it might be a, a Division three level. But um, as things progressed and I got bigger and, and uh, started throwing harder, um, I was fortunate enough to receive an opportunity in Nebraska and, and uh, you know, the rest went from there. How did that particular university help you evolve because you played with a lot of guys who ended up in the big leagues right brian dunsing jabba chamberlain i think there was probably one or two others i'm missing yeah, tony watson was there um a few others that that had a, a brief stint in the big leagues but um you know for me it was just getting experience because i didn't have a lot of experience in high school and um even my first year or two in college i didn't get a lot of innings so um i would really say that summer ball was was very important for me because i was able to go and you know pitch 75 innings that i hadn't had i think i had like 10 innings my freshman year and then went to summer ball and probably threw you know 50 to 75 innings and then same thing my sophomore year i probably had 20 innings and then uh, went back to summer ball and did the same thing. So just getting out there and, and uh, getting a lot of innings under my belt and some experience and learning every day was, was very, very vital for my success. Were those experiences also what led you to believe you can do this as now you've done professionally for several years at the big league level? Absolutely. I mean, I it came to a point where I, I really wasn't sure if I could even get college hitters out. And then um, my first summer, um, I learned a lot, um, and I had a great pitching coach there and, and really taught me a lot, and, and it was uh, very instrumental in, in my development as a player. Who helped you evolve at the professional level the most? Who are some of the mentors that you had, be they at the minor league level or the major, major league level, who really helped you grow? Man, it's hard to pick out any names. I know I'd leave some out for sure, um, but really any coach I had along the way, and a lot of it um, for me and for other players is just – having people there to listen. Um, you know, a lot of bullpen coaches we've had and pitching coaches, um, sometimes it just takes listening because as pitchers, we know ourselves well enough that sometimes if you just talk it out, just hearing yourself say the things that are not going right or that you strive to do uh, helps you get to where you want to be. And, 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 you know, looking at video and, and um, just kind of going over what is going wrong and what you want to happen and just hearing it, you know, sometimes just you know, kind of lays it out for you. Now, you mentioned that, you know, it's been a climb. You know, you've been through your fair share of adversity, too. I was reading about the line drive that you took. Well, it was probably, what, eight months after you had your daughter was born, too. Describe what you went through and how difficult it was to get back on the mound after taking a line drive off the head. Yeah, it was definitely a scary moment. Um, you know, something that you, you really hope you don't have to go through. But, um, you know, I think I'm better for it because I think um, – you know, that, if anything, it was a long year for me. I've been up and down quite a bit from the big leagues to the minor leagues, and that gave me a chance to 
go home and just kind of rest with my family for uh, a couple weeks really while I rehabbed and, and get back into some games. But once it came back to uh, time to pitch again, it was really just um, second nature. It, I mean, it just became getting back up there and just kind of doing your job. Was there ever a moment, though, where you had any doubts coming back from that? Uh, because the natural instinct is, you know, that line drive, until you get that first line drive back through the box again, that, you know, just to get over that feeling. Yeah, I mean, you do kind of second guess a little bit what you're doing out here and what it really means. But, um, you know, then you, you kind of push that aside and, and just realize that, you know, this is something we've always done. And this is something that you go out there every day and do. And this is what we work for. Part of the reason we wanted to talk to you this week is because on this road trip, you're going back to Chicago where you were a month ago. I'm sure you faced the Marlins before. What will it mean to face your former teammates? Yeah, I, I, I really do feel like this is going to mean uh, a lot just because um, I really feel like I, I grew up with the White Sox. Um, although that wasn't my first team, the time I went over there, um, I learned a lot there. I feel like I really grew as a, as a person and uh, as a player. And, I mean, I feel like my daughter grew up there um, more so than the, you know, first eight months or so that she spent in Miami. I feel like, you know, that's where we, we really um, – you know, kind of had our baseball lives as a family, and that's the, the memories I'm going to have with my daughter. Um, and she's even now, she's saying all the time she misses Chicago, and, and she'll miss it here too. I know she just, you know, has to get acclimated a little bit because right now it's just, you know, where are we going next? She doesn't really know what's going on uh, all too well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be, um, you know, nice to see those guys because I had to leave so abruptly. I, I, I think I – I got the call um, after the game, after I'd already gone home, so I really didn't get a chance to say goodbye to anybody, so I've been looking forward to getting back there and you know seeing people and, and being able to properly say goodbye to them. You mentioned growth. Did How big a role was Don Cooper? Because you know, I've heard good things about their, their pitching staff as a whole and, and their coaching staff. Yeah, no, props to, to Coop for putting up with me for, for as long as he did because um, – you know, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes. There's a lot of ups and lots of downs, and the, the ups are easy um, for anybody to deal with, but the, the downs are when you really got to grind through, and, and sometimes you butt heads, and sometimes you, you, you grind through some stuff, but that's what it really becomes is, is you know, having a little patience and, and being able to work with somebody, and, and like I said, props to him for being able to work with me. From a teammate standpoint, who were the guys in the bullpen who you were closest to? Man, um, it, it's, it's tough because... There was a couple different phases. I mean, we had the same group of guys for my first two years there, and then it was a brand-new group of guys this year. Um, a lot of younger guys this year, and, and all the guys over there now um, that were there most of this year I was pretty close with. But um, last few years, I mean, um, me and Zach Duke were pretty close, him being another lefty and um, being catch partners and and, uh, and whatnot. And um, the guys that were there the last few years, I mean, Matt Albers was there for a couple years with me. Um, David Robertson was there for a couple years with me. Um, Jake Patrika, Zach Putnam. I mean, those guys, like, I feel like I spent not only a majority of my career with them, but a majority of my time because we're basically, you know, confined together in a box for, you know, three hours a night. So you get to really get to know those guys and talk to them quite a bit. When I watch you pitch, you almost look like you jump at the hitter. Has that always been the way that you've been? And, and how much do you think that's almost an advantage because it is kind of a unique delivery you have? Yeah, I, I, I definitely don't feel like, you know, hitters are able to time me up as well as they want. Um, sometimes hitters like to sit back and, and get in their rhythm as well. And so, um, you know, you, saw, you like to throw their timing off a little bit as much as you can. Um, for me, it just became a timing thing to uh, time up my arm, sync up my, my upper half with my lower half. 
Uh, and I, I've always had a quick upper half, quick arm motion. So um, I think back in like 2011 is when I really started syncing that up, you know, kind of removed the wind up and just went, um, went stretch full time. And, and that's when I started syncing up, you know, the lower half with the upper half. This weekend is Players Weekend. You've kept it simple, I guess, right? Is it DJ that you're wearing on your jersey? Why so? That's just what people call me in the clubhouse. Um, I mean, there's a million other nicknames people have, you know, given each other in the past. But um, on a daily basis, it's you know, what's up, DJ? How's it going, DJ? So I like to keep it simple with what people actually call me, so it means something. And when you're away from the field and not worrying about you know your job on the field, what do you like to do? Obviously, I can tell you're a family guy first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, once you have kids, that that consumes most of your time, and you forget what you do with your free time. But um, no, me and my wife, we like to watch uh, TV shows together, movies. Um, Obviously, uh, off-seasons are consumed with workouts, which I really enjoy spending time at the gym. Uh, Ping-pong, I've been, you know, fortunate to play a few games of ping-pong here with a few guys that that really enjoy playing. Um, Other than that, man, like most of my, like I said, most of my free time is consumed with, uh, with kids. Well, enjoy the time with the kids. Good luck on the second one, and enjoy the time in Chicago. We appreciate some time this week on This Week in Rays Baseball. Thanks so much. That's Dan Jennings, and we'll continue right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. So long. Triple A Durham became the first Tampa Bay affiliate this week to make the postseason. Their manager is Jared Sandberg. Jared, congratulations. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Neil. Yeah, huge honor. Uh, everybody's really excited. I don't have much of a voice, but uh, it's been a great season, and uh, we're looking forward to the playoffs. Jared, to win as many as you have, and you've won 80 or so games, I mean, that's like 90 or so at the major league level because you play a shorter schedule. What's made this group so special? Well, I think pitching and defense definitely wins ballgames. We've had tremendous pitching all season long, whether it's from you know, the starting rotation or a bullpen that's picked up a lot of the bulk innings throughout the course of the season. But we also had some clutch hitting as well. Two out RBIs were, were key. So a lot of things fell into place. But uh, from a team standpoint, everybody picked everybody else up and, and uh, really came together. Uh, the coaching staff you know, prepared these players to go out there and compete every single day. So uh, it was definitely a collective effort. You know, the Rays have talked a lot about how important depth is, and, and they're on a pace to use a record number of players at the big league level. I, I would assume it's similar in Durham because you've had so much turnover during the course of the season. We have, you know, and, and every year we talk about the Durham Bulls roster being an extended roster of the major league team, and we know that whatever they need, we're going to be able to help them fill their roster and with, with competitive players and winning players, and so that's what we were after this year. And There has been a lot of turnover, and guys have filled different roles and everything like that, and they've stepped up and stepped in, and um, it's, it's been great. You know, we've had, you know, earlier in the season, we had some players come up from Port Charlotte to, to fill in for us. So, I mean, the depth of the organization also showed up. You've had a terrific year with some talented players. Let's start with the two most well-touted position players, and Willie Adamas and Jake Bowers. How far away are they to being big leaguers? Yeah, I would say that they're... Uh, <clears throat> Talent-wise, they're both ready for the major leagues, but you know they're still young and they got some things to work on. There's some, uh, you know, how they're going to deal with you know the ups and downs. Um, it's yet to be seen, but talent-wise, they're they're and tools-wise, skill set, they're they're ready for the major leagues. The biggest thing is going to be how they're going to deal with the consistency, and they're going to lack some consistency being some young players, but they're they're both. Big 
very, very exciting players. They can change a game in many different ways, and they're fun to watch. And certainly I know our fan base is looking forward to the day when they do debut. I probably get more questions, though, from fans about Brent Honeywell than anyone. How has he grown during the season? Because I know he took his lumps early on here in AAA. He did take his lumps. And again, you know, speaking of young players and and, and dealing with adver- adversity and, and failure, it's only going to help the players going forward. So I think, you know, the, the, the adversity that Brent had to deal with and the adjustments that he had to make to the league, you know, he worked uh, hard with, with Kyle Snyder on some different approaches and some different um, delivery changes, and and you know Brent owned those the the struggles early on, and he was willing to work and make the adjustments, and it just kind of goes to show you uh, not only the talent but also the the person that we're talking about, and you know he, they're willing to make some adjustments and get better, and you know Brent has done a nice job uh, rebounding and, and been one of the more dominant pitchers in the, in the entire league. Brent Honeywell is not on the 40-man roster, but there are a couple of other starting pitchers who've had terrific years, too, who aren't. Let's begin with Yanni Chirinos. He was someone the Rays didn't rule five last year. They were able to keep him, and he's really been among the best in the organization. He's had an incredible year, and he came up, and you know he's a guy that pounds the strike zone, um, has shown an uptick in velocity with his fastball up to 96, and the sliders at 88, 89, and so I mean, he's a you know, power pitcher, uh, throws a changeup as well, and he, he's a guy that gets some swings, uh, soft contact, early early contact, so he's very efficient with his pitch count, and he's been a, uh, you know, an incredible, I wouldn't say surprise, but he's been, you know, a dominant force in our starting rotation this year. And, and then the lefty Ryan Yarbrough, who the Rays got in one of their many trades with Seattle, on paper he's had a terrific year too. He has. You know, he's, uh, he's shortened up the breaking ball, uh, he pounds his own as well, and you know, he's learning when to what he needs to expand when he starts to see the other teams start to uh, swing early and, and often with him. But he's got some swing and miss with him, even though the velocity's not uh, overwhelming. He uh, definitely has tremendous pitchability, and uh, I mean, he was pitcher of the year last year in the Southern League, and so there were some you know high expectations for him. But there's also you know we we didn't know what we were going to get just because he wasn't in our organization, and I know we're pleased to uh, to have him on our rotation here in Durham and and within the organization because he can definitely help the major league level. There are a lot of guys in your bullpen who can help at the major league level. Some already have. Jose Alvarado, Ryan Stanek, they were kind of forced into high-leverage debuts early, but were better the second time around. How have they grown up to you, and how have they improved their games? Yeah, they've. I mean, from a confidence standpoint, from you know strike-throwing ability, uh, Stanek you know, came down and you know, learn to split finger and, and uh, you know, regain some, and gain some confidence in that pitch and throw it, you know, pretty much whenever he wants. And uh, it's definitely an out pitch for him. Alvarado, you know, learn a new breaking ball. But those guys uh, have a chance to be a huge part of the back end of the big league bullpen for years to come. And, um, you know, we're, we're just fortunate to be able to have them and uh, be able to plug them in when we, when we could and be able to develop them. Uh, Kyle Snyder did a tremendous job in, you know, helping them, you know, refine those pitches, but also learn uh, new pitches as well. And I know they're not the only power relievers in AAA. Diego Castillo, I saw him a little bit in the fall league. You had him there last year. How good can this kid be? This, I mean, really good. I mean, you're talking about a, a two-seam fastball that touches 100. Um, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. And then, you know, the slider is devastating as well. So, um, you know, he's got a chance to – you know, be one of those guys at the back end of the bullpen as well. 
you know, a guy that hasn't pitched in professional baseball all that long, but has made a quick ascent to uh, the AAA level here in the Rays organization, one of the faster rising pitchers in the history of the Rays organization. So uh, here's a guy that's knocking on the door and had some chances to pitch in some big, you know, leverage situations, some high anxiety moments. So a uh, guy that's got a bright future. And speaking of bright futures, Jamie Schultz began the year in the hunt for a Rays roster spot. He's been injured much of the season, bothered by a bad groin, but now he's pitching innings, and in that clinching game this week, he fanned the side, allowing just a hit. How's his health, and how does he look physically? He looks Physically, he looks great. You know, um, you know, it's, it's a confidence thing in, in, the, in, the, in the groin and, and knowing that he's not going to re-injure it. So it's just like anybody else has to come back from an injury. You know, they got to get the confidence back, and then, you know, everything else kind of falls in line after that. But, you know, he's a guy that has a fastball that got tremendous life to it, and uh, the curveball is a huge swing and miss pitch. And, you know, he's, he's another guy that's going to be a big part of Major League Bullpen's future, and uh, he's got a bright future as well. You know, a guy that goes out there and competes, a guy that's had the ability to go, you know, be a starter for us, um, throughout the organization, you know, get some innings on him, gain some experience, but now you kind of see where uh, he kind of fits there in the bullpen. So, you know, it's good to see him back healthy and, and pitching again and pitching at a um, high level. And speaking of injuries, you began the year with a different set of catchers, and Justin O'Connor is a kid who's always been a great talent but has had trouble staying healthy. In fact, many didn't believe he'd come back from his latest injury. Recently he joined you, his debut at AAA. How's he look? Yeah, J.O. is, uh, you know, I've had him for a couple of years at the lower minor leagues, and to see where he's at now, he's definitely matured, um, you know, quite a bit. And with that maturity comes, you know, being able to work with the pitchers, put down the right fingers, and then physically just try to stay healthy and be healthy. And when he's healthy, you know, he's um, got the ability to change the game with his with his arm back behind the plate and shut down running games, and it's uh, really exciting to see him. Uh, do what he does, and and I'm I'm really excited just because of the you know the time that I've spent with him and see him in AAA and get to AAA. It's uh, it's a lot of fun and rewarding for us in player development. Jared, there's one other guy I wanted to ask you about, and we're speaking with Jared Sandberg, Durham's manager. That's Kian Wong. He's always been known as a hitter, maybe a little under the radar lately. He's had a big second half. You know, Keon, he comes uh, as one of the younger players in the international league, and he comes with a a resume where you know he's just hit anywhere he's been and you know he was trying to find his way early on as a young player in AAA and and I think once he found his way and, and figured out where he or knew that he belonged here in AAA is when he kind of took off and he's put together a fine season there was a little uh, quick demotion 40 plus at bats going back down to AA but he took it in stride and he's come back up here and and put together some good at-bats. Uh, you know, the kid can bunt. Um, so it really helps keep him afloat, uh, specifically against left-handed pitching. But uh, as far as a mind for the game, you know, he's got some decent instincts that um, I, I didn't see early in the season, but as he's gained confidence, they're starting to show. And he's playing at a pretty high level right now, and so it's an intriguing player for us in the organization. Well, you've had a lot of intriguing players this year, a lot of terrific wins, hopefully many more to come in the postseason. Congrats on the season to date and the contributions that the Durham Club has made at the Major League level. We'll speak with you soon. Thanks, Neil.
That is Durham manager Jared Sandberg. Now this week, of course, Players Weekend. And before it started, I spoke with one Chris Archer about what it meant to him. It's just a cool way for the players to express themselves. Uh, the, the league is a little more lenient on um, some things. Uh, so it's cool. It's fun. Do you want to see this done on an annual basis? Do you think it's important to do this to help see more of the personality of players? I do. Uh, the one thing I want is maybe for us to be a little more involved because as, as cool as it is, there's some things that could be a little bit better. And it's the first year. Um, so hopefully going forward, if, if they continue to do this, we get a little more say in the, in the small things. Kevin Kiermeyer likes the Players Weekend and says it's been a nice change of pace. Switched it up and uh, kind of showing fans our um, – our goofy side, you see us, you know, the business side of playing every day, and I know that people know that we're goofy and, you know, just have as fun as anyone else out there, but I think these nicknames uh, kind of puts it into perspective in a way, and, um, you know, we kind of have to explain why we chose what we did, and I just think it gives, like I said, people a whole new uh, outlook on on uh, our personalities and certain things like that, which is, uh, you know, um, good good for uh just you know the overall um i don't know just just our personalities i guess and it's just it's a whole new change that unlike anything that's ever happened in the game before so i think it'll be uh it'll be interesting is it something you want to see a lot more of going forward i mean obviously not something you're gonna do every weekend but at least you know promoting the personalities of players um yeah i think i think uh this is one thing where you don't you know, it'd be great to do it maybe once a year. That will be taking place based on at least how it's been received so far in year one. I want to thank all our guests on the show today, Commissioner Rob Manfred, as well as Rays Principal Owner Stuart Sternberg, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, reliever Dan Jennings, and Durham Manager Jared Sandberg, as well as Chris Archer and Kevin Kiermeyer. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. For my producer, Trey Downey, saying next week, join us with Wilson Ramos and much more on the Rays Baseball Network.